Well, good morning, Moose Jaw Lions Church. Oh, right on. Okay. It is so good that we can be here together. Thank you, Mike and Marley, uh, in the morning for our worship. Uh, that was fantastic. This morning, we are focusing in on 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, and I'll invite you to flip there uh, in your Bibles. And just as a, a little you know, precursor introduction, we're in a series called Just Like Us Too, and we're focusing in on the life of Elisha. In the book of James in the New Testament, he says that Elisha was a man just like you and me, or just like us. And so that means that God can work in us the same ways in which he worked in Elisha, in Elijah. And now we're focusing on his apprentice, Elisha. And Kirk last week took us through, you know, Elisha and Elijah traveling across the Jordan. And then there was this great whirlwind that took them up, uh, that took up Elijah. And then Elisha's left there and he crosses back over the Jordan. And where does he go from here? Well, that's where we start off this morning. But before we get into that, I want you uh, to just journey with me a little bit through, through my childhood. So I, not all of it, I promise. Um, but when I was really young, I got uh, hooked on the Need for Speed video games and Fast and the Furious uh, movies, which both never seem to really find a good ending. They just keep on continuing and continuing. Um, but there's another one out in the theaters, and I'm sure there's 12 more video games already made. But through these video games and, and social media and whatnot, I really, really like Japanese uh, cars. And so I had planned and thought that, you know what, if I had a red Mazda 1993-1994 RX-7, that would be it. That would, life would be made, that's, that's what I want. Um, and that would fix all my problems. I mean, of course, right? I was eight. That's what's going to fix every, every single problem. And, uh, and I saved up money. Every $5 that Grandma gave me for you know, doing chores I probably didn't deserve $5 for, uh, to working odd jobs here and there, working as a gas uh, attendant and, and, and restaurants and what, whatnot. And anyways, when I was 15, I found this red RX-7 over in Winnipeg. And my dad and I, we drove out there. And uh, I, I put all my money in a little craft peanut butter jar and I handed it to the guy. He probably thought I was a drug dealer or something because <laughs> there's this little 15-year-old boy giving him cash for this car. And I was just so ecstatic. This whole three-hour drive back to the farm, so pumped. Except the car needed to be rebuilt, which utterly kind of means that it's useless. <laughs> So my dad and I, we started rebuilding it and, and working. We pulled the engine out of it, and there was uh, a lot of work to be done. But eventually, we, we pulled that motor out, and we sent off some parts to Calgary. We fixed some of our on our own, and we but it was this whole ordeal. Um, a lot more complicated than what it needed to be, but eventually, we got it running. And I was so pumped. I had such high hopes for this car and essentially, it just got me from point A to point B in a pretty efficient way. But other than that, it didn't really help me do my taxes. It didn't help me, you know, talk to my future wife. Uh, I don't think. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't help me get through school. It didn't help me uh, build relationships. 
in, in the ways that I thought it would. And, and this car, though it was pretty, it, it didn't really have a whole lot of use, but I put so much hope into this thing and I just felt empty. Have there been moments within your life that you've devoted so much time for and maybe you haven't even realized you, you put hope in it, but then things go sideways and you just feel empty. Give you that feeling? Farmers, uh, not to, to single uh, you guys out, I grew up on a farm, uh, but this time is, you know, we're, uh, with the heat and everything, I'm sure some of you are harvesting, and, and if we can just go to that next slide there, that right there, isn't that just a beautiful shot? All the equipment is working, hopefully. Uh, the combine is, at least. Uh, the conditions are just perfect. All this work has just gone into these weeks of harvest. And it's almost this big, huge payoff. Those moments of just pure joy can sometimes turn a little sideways on us. Uh, on, this is what happened on our farm a, a few years back. And I know that some of us have had moments in life like that where everything seems to be going great and things just go sideways. And if we put so much hope into these things, we end up feeling pretty empty. I, uh, yeah, I think we could say we were a little burnt out that day. Um, what are the things in our lives that we are putting so much hope in during difficult times and during great times? In uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, where, where Liam uh, read from, uh, and, and good job, by the way, Liam. Uh, there's a lot of fun uh, grammatical things that they do in this text in the NIV, but we're here in, uh, in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 3, and, and we've got some characters here. We've got about three main characters. We've got King Jeho uh, Joram, who is the king of Israel, and so at this point, Israel, or the 12 tribes have been separated into 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. And we've got the king of Israel. That will be the, the, the guy looking over the people in the north. And he's stationed in Samaria. So sometimes he's called the king of Samaria, the king of Israel, or King Joram. And he, um, how do we put this lightly? A modern context would be that his parents were similar to a Hitler type figure. Um, isn't exactly super uh, appealing. Uh, isn't exactly great role models. Uh, his mom is Queen Jezebel. His dad's uh, King Ahab. And his brother wasn't really much better than him. And he's just, he's a bad king. He is a little bit better in the fact that he removes one idol. But that's it. Uh, not much to write home about, but enough to include it in the Bible. So we have King Jeho uh, Joram, and then we get King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat, he is, uh, he's, a, he's a pretty good king. He seeks the Lord in these difficult times, but he makes really poor choices with his alliances. He's made an alliance with King uh, Ahab, and Queen Jezebel in the demand for peace. And then he makes it with Joram's older brother in, in a negotiation for peace. And then, now here we are, the first introduction to King Joram, and he makes another alliance. 
so as we, as we have in, in verse 9 here. So the king of Israel, the king of Samaria, King Joram, sent out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, who at this time, just as a disclaimer, he's underneath the king of Judah. So it's really just the king of Judah and the king of Israel going out. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves and the animals that they were with. Water. Isn't water such a good thing? I don't know about, about you. After workout, water can go a lot longer than many other things. Traveling seven days, going round and round and round, and you've got the king of the desert that you're in with you, and you guys are lost. You have no water. This is the first thing that he exclaims. What exclaims the king of Israel? Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? This king isn't following after God the way that he is commanded to. And who's the first one he blames? He blames God. I find it interesting that with all the things that go on within our world, sometimes... You know, we we be tolerant of, of other beliefs and, and whatnot, but it seems like when things go bad, people tend to blame God. Is there a little seed within us that, that knows that there's someone greater that's overlooking us? I wonder. But King Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? See, Jehoshaphat does something way greater than King Joram. He says, whatever the situation is, is there someone here that we can talk to that knows what God is doing in this? And it's not King Jehoram that finds Elisha. It's his officer. The officer of king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of, the, of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. And isn't this, uh, the book of Kings is just riddled with irony. He poured water, water, that thing that we're, uh, that we're looking for, he poured that on the hands of, of that other prophet that kind of caused your parents a bunch of trouble because he kept on pointing them towards God. Um, yeah, he poured water on their hands. Uh, maybe we should go ask him. So, uh, yeah, if, he, if they just say servant, uh, of Elijah or, or you know the apprentice of Elijah there's, there's this deep irony that, that the writers put in here that he poured water on the hands of Elijah and Jehoshaphat said the word of the Lord is with him so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him you see Jehoshaphat does this time and time again he did this with King Ahab when they were in trouble when they were going out to, uh, to attack Ramoth Gilead, he asked, is there someone that we can talk to, to the Lord, back in 1 Kings 22? It's, almost, it's in some ways uh, an exact pair to this narrative here. And so it's so interesting that King Jehoshaphat keeps on coming back to this, saying we need to talk to the Lord. Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. 
these Baal worshipers, these people that you allow to worship pagan gods within your land. I mean, if they're so strong, why don't you just, why don't you go to them? Why are you coming to me? What is, what is it that God has to offer you if you've rejected him all this time and you think that he's not that powerful? Why are you blaming him now? No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us from the hands of Moab. He's making this some sort of religious war. He repeats the same thing again, and he's saying, no, God brought us out here so that we can be destroyed. And Elisha responds with saying that, you know, this king Jehoshaphat, I'll respond to you because of, of his character, because of who he is. And he brings a harpist. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask Mike to come up here and, and play for, <laughs> for us while we, while we uh, continue on with the sermon, but this harpist come and, and the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord said, I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says, you will neither see wind nor rain, yet the valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your animals will drink. That's what they're worried about, right? They're worried about, we don't have the agua. We don't have water. It's the first thing that the Lord promises them. And he continues, and this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. I'm sure after seven days of miscellaneously thinking, I can do this on my own, I can find my own water. Hearing, this is easy for the Lord. Why, what, what's the big deal? I'm sure that made the king of Israel real happy. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You'll be, you will overthrow every fortified city and every major town, and you will cut down every good tree and stop up every spring and ruin every good field with stones. Not only will this worry of no water in empowering us to fend off Moab, no, the Lord's promised you victory. He has graciously and lovingly blessed the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, who is saying, what does the Lord have to say? And now, King Joram also benefits. The Lord is there with open hands for those who are closed off to him and those who are close to him. He's wanting us to come. And so the next morning, about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, there was water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. A little bit of Elisha's story from where we left off last week. Elisha heads to Mount Carmel. And if that sounds familiar, that's exactly where Elijah was a few chapters before if we remember from Sunday school, there was two altars that was made, one to Baal, one to God. And during a drought, a drought that is happening right here, Elijah, Elijah asks water to be poured on the altar. And after the evening sacrifice that Elijah aligns his heart with God, fire comes down and burns up the offering. But Baal 
nothing happens. Now, Elisha is here, and he offers a morning sacrifice, devotes his, his new day to God, and says, Lord, I will follow you. I am sorry for the sins that I have done. I am sorry for the ways in which I have been selfish, that I have gone after my own things. And God provides. God provides right after this. I don't think that that's a coincidence. Ah, uh, that is, that is Elisha following right underneath the God-given direction of his, of his leader, Elijah, as he's following in the footsteps of Elijah. Now, there is another story that involves water that brings life and a Samaritan. I don't know if, if can anyone, anyone know which story I'm talking about with Jesus? Feel free to shout it out. Yeah, woman at the well. John chapter 4. Jesus answers her in verse 10, and he says, If you knew the gifts of God and who it was you were asking for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the father, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water that God provides for the Samaritan king back then, I feel as if it foreshadows this living water that Jesus brings us, the Holy Spirit that he gives us, that he leaves with us in peace, that it may fill us, that we may and go and do the works like Elisha did, like Elijah did. Elisha demonstrates this life that is spirit-empowered and focused on the missions that God sends him. I'm sure if Christ was around, he would have been Christ-centered. Friends, what are the areas in our life where we know we need to be a little more focused on Christ. The moments within our life that we've been putting our hopes in other things that will not lead to eternal life. What are the areas in our life that we can say, Jesus, I want to center this part of my life on you. Jesus, I want to get to know you deeper. Holy Spirit, may you fill me today to do your work. May you fill us with the words that you would have us speak to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to the person that sits next to us on an airplane, on a bus, wherever it might be. And God, what are the moments within my life that I am not devoting to your mission? Where are the points within my life where I don't say, Lord, 
I want to seek you before making this decision. Lord, this is your fault. Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Lord, what are you doing? Friends, there are so many moments that God is standing there with open arms saying, come, seek me. I have good things for you. Jesus, we we focus on him as our savior, our healer, our sanctifier, and coming king. That's a pretty all-encompassing person. Well, that would make sense because he is the fullness of who we want to be. This car that I mentioned earlier, we, in reflecting back, there was quite a few selfish moments. But God has redeemed some of those in new ways. This car, through the Holy Spirit, guided me to a deeper relationship with my dad. When I reflect back on this car, I don't reflect back on the possession of it, on the whatever I thought it would give me, but I reflected on the things that God was working within my life throughout that time on working on it. Took it to graduation, took it um, all over uh, the place, but I learned a deeper relationship with my father and great memories. I learned how to manage money and and focus in on what really, really matters. And more importantly, friends, it, it taught me that life is just so fleeting. So what are the things that we can save up for? What are the things that we can continuously put a metaphorical $5 aside here and there that will be heavenly rewards, that will be a heavenly focused life? And last, I, I took... Uh, my wife for our, our uh, reception after our wedding in this car and, and I have great memories because the Lord brought me a woman that loves the Lord, that loves him and so I reflect back on this car and I say thank you Lord for bringing me a person that you knew needed to be by my side for the rest of my life God can take these selfish, awful situations and turn them into ways of glorifying and blessing him. So, what are the ways in which we put our hope in things that are so temporal, things that, that cause us to be, to be angry, to be jealous, to, be, uh, to feel guilt, to feel... Um, Remorse, Friends, God has a great life for us. Andy Stanley talks about, you know, when we, when we blame God, when we say, God, you owe me this, that's a pretty big sign of jealousy. And as we see in the text here, blaming God isn't the answer. Are we going to be like King Jehoram? And say, when trouble comes along, God, what are you doing? God, why did you do this to me? Or are we going to be like 
King Jehoshaphat and say, Lord, I seek you. What do you want for my life? What do you want for me? And my prayer is, I think our, our church as a whole's prayer is that we all become like a man of Elijah. That Elisha, he was spirit-empowered, mission-focused. And as we are here today, we are Christ-centered. We are focused on Christ's work within our life. We're going to end it there this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Let us pray together. God, we just thank you. We thank you for this new day that you have given us. This hope that, that we seek your kingdom, that we seek your face, God, that we take up our cross every day. We say, Lord, what are you doing within our life today? What do you want to do within me? What are the ways in which you can shape me? Holy Spirit, please fill us today. Give us the words. Give us your words for the conversations, for the situations that we will be put into. God, may we continue to live out a life like Elisha that is so focused on you that people around us see that that person is living for the Lord. That person has authority from God. That when they speak, they are not speaking of their own mind, but they are speaking of your mind. Holy Spirit, may you fill us today. In your name we pray.